to the tune-up, your Wednesday night Bible study. Each week we gather together to tune in to the Word of God, learning and growing as we study how to apply God's Word in our everyday lives. Join us at 7.30 for this powerful Bible study experience. And now, let's get ready for tune-up. Welcome to The Tune-Up, a new interactive Bible study hosted by Global Outreach Church. I'm Lynette Jackson, and I wanted to just come on for a few moments just to share some information about this new Bible study. It is an interactive Bible study, so you can ask questions of our speakers. So all you have to do is just put your comments or ask a question in the comment section on Facebook and our speaker will be acknowledging those and reading those and answering your questions at the end of the Bible study. The second thing is this QR code at the top of the screen there. If you scan that QR code, you'll be able to give an offering at the end of service. You'll be able to donate to our food pantry. You'll be able to go to our website. You'll be able to leave a prayer request because that is super important. And you'll also be able to view our previous messages. I'm so excited that we're starting this new Bible study format uh, this year in 2023, uh, hosted by Global Outreach Church. Well, I'm Lynette Jackson, and if you're ready, I'm ready. Let's get ready for a tune-up. All right, it's another time for tune-up. The Bible says, enter his gate with thanksgiving and into his court with praise. So join me as we praise, as we worship and glorify his name. Hallelujah. I worship you, Almighty God. There was none like you. I worship you, O Prince of That is all I want to do. I give praise for you are my righteousness. I Thank you. 
Hallelujah. Thank you so much, Brother Diola, for those wonderful selections. And yes, welcome to the tune-up. Glory to God. You know, um, every time I take my car in for a tune-up, uh, I get a car back, and the car is just, 
incredibly uh, functioning. It's driving better. I'm getting better gas mileage. And uh, that's my desire and prayer for you tonight, that as a result of this tune-up, you will also be optimally prepared to thrive in the kingdom of God because God loves you so dearly. Amen. And so I want to encourage you, get your friends, your family, whoever, let them know the tune-up is on so they can get tuned up so they can be optimally prepared for kingdom and advancement. And so before I get into the message this morning, I want to give a shout out to my friend and ministry partner, Pastor Gochin, all the way from Miami. I love this man of God. I thank you for uh, joining us tonight. I, and I just want to join all of our uh, uh, online uh, community to let us pray for Miami, that Miami will see the redemption of God that the men and women of God that loves God, that lives in Miami, will see a breakthrough from the power of the devil that's trying to oppress the people of that nation. So, Father, we thank you for that privilege as the people of God. You said uh, we should ask a few. You give us the nations for our inheritance and the ends of the earth for our possession. We call upon your name. We thank you that you reign supremely in Miami, even right now in spite of everything else that's going on, and every believer, every righteous man and woman in that nation will thrive, they will, they will be able to live in prosperity, in peace, and at the same time, advancing the frontiers of the kingdom of God. And we pray for, or even, on the, even for the unbelievers in Miami, that their ears will be attuned to God in this very moment of their vulnerability, that there will be a, a harvest that's ripe for the plucking. I thank you, Lord, and I praise your name for what you're doing in Miami to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Gochin, we love you. We thank God for you. Amen. Okay, now for the tune-up. So tonight, I want to teach from Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. We've been taking this series on the Christian lives warfare. And so tonight, I want to entitle this segment, Overcoming the Enemy's Attack. Overcoming the Enemy's Attack. Now, this is a parallel teaching that's going along with what I'm teaching on Sunday mornings uh, on, um, on the um, uh, standing your ground against the enemies. So on Sundays, I'm teaching from Ephesians. And on Wednesdays, I'm teaching from the book of Nehemiah. So let's just get right to it now. Overcoming the Enemy's Attack. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. So it reads, let me just read it. Okay, but it so happened when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before the, his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, it will break their stone wall. Nehemiah's response, Hear, O our God, for we are despised, turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as a plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had in mind to work. Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and that the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made a prayer to our God, and because of them, 
we set a watch against them day and night. In the last segment, I showed you a diagram of the gates of the walls of Jerusalem. And in that particular segment, I mentioned to you that there were 10 gates of the walls of Jerusalem. And in Nehemiah chapter 3, the first gate mentioned was the sheep gate. So that's where we begin our journey. The, our journey as a believer begins at the sheep gate. And I'll explain to you the sheep gate was the gate through which all the animal sacrifices were brought in to Jerusalem to be offered up as a sacrifice unto the Lord. Therefore, that sheep gate represents to me and you today the gate that correlates with our experience in the kingdom of God as born-again Christians. Jesus not only became a lamb for our sacrifice, at that particular time, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you are born again, you become God's sheep. Amen? And so the, the, the plan here is, as a believer, that you begin to go counterclockwise. Counterclockwise. You come in through the ship gate. From there, you go into the fish gate. And from the fish gate, which fish gate represents uh, me and you sharing about Jesus Christ, his love and getting people born again. It represents evangelism. He's called us to become fishers of men, the scripture says. Okay, so uh, as, a, as a ship, you go into the fish gate. And then, of course, from the ship gate, you go on to the old gate in your experience, whereby foundation is being laid on the, on the, on the foundational principles of the word of God. Now, I explained to you in the last segment that from the old gate to the valley gate was a long was was the longest uh, uh, journey or distance among these gates, representing the honeymoon experience that most of us enjoy or experience when we come to know Jesus Christ. However, after the honeymoon period comes the valley gate experience. Remember uh, David? He said, yea, though I walk through the valleys of the shadows of death, I will fear no evil. Why? He said, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So the valley experience represents our trials and tribulations and persecutions that we endure as a result of friction or opposition from the enemy. And so today, in this segment, I want to speak on the overcoming the, the attacks of the enemy. Overcoming the attacks of the enemy. Because the point of the, the truth of the matter is, no matter where you are, where you live on the face of this earth, as a believer, the moment you, begun, you, you became born again, there's a target on your back. Yes. The moment you become born again, whether you enlist or not, <laughs> there's a target placed on your back. The enemy is after you for very many reasons. I don't want to get into those, re those reasons right now. That We may address that some other time because I don't want to take away from the time of addressing this, this particular um, message that's before. So, so the point is, immediately we become born again. Especially, now it's important for me to make this notation, especially for those of us who are born again and making progress. Those who are born again and who are joining, you get from the sheep gate to the fish gate to the old gate, those of us who are joining become a threat to the enemy. Absolutely. Now, for those believers who get born again and who's just whose sole purpose and sole motivation and the only reason for their existence is to go to heaven. You can forget it. You are no threat to the devil. And therefore, you may not experience the valley gate experience. Because if you're not doing anything to antagonize or to, uh, to, to, to create, to become a threat to the kingdom of darkness, then it has no interest in you. Amen? But for every believer who wants to grow in the knowledge of God, who wants to experience all that God has in store for us, who wants to be an obedient child of God, who wants to live out the life of the adopted son, as I explained in the last segment, making me and you grown adults who are participators 
who engage in the kingdom realities. For those of us who choose to do that, then you must understand there's going to be opposition. And so for Nehemiah and his group, they return to Jerusalem. They begin to rebuild the gates of Jerusalem. And what happened? I just told you. I just, it shouldn't be any surprise. We read that immediately they started and the word got out, things began to happen. Let, let, let me bring this home to you. Many of us who were born again from families that did not know God, or perhaps families who are nominal Christians, or who, who, who use the label as Christians. And then you go to college, or you go to a revival meeting, you go to a conference, a seminar, bam, you get born again. And you're all excited. You say, oh, man, I'm born again. And you go home to tell your cold, frozen parents and family that you are not born again. And you expect for them to clap and say, oh, oh honky-dory, praise God, you are born again. What do we experience? Cold shoulders. Absolutely. Because they think, really? You get born again? For what? Why? Because they have not experienced what you have. And therefore, they begin to mock you, to ridicule you. And that's exactly what happened here in Nehemiah chapter 4. Amen? Uh, I, can, I can tell you story after story of men and women across the world. Maybe they came out of a Buddhist background or Hindu background or Islamic background and they get born again. They are ostracized. They are ostracized. They, they, they get nothing but hostility from their immediate families. In this case for Nehemiah, Sambalat, Tobiah, the, and, and the rest of them came against the Jews. They mocked them. They intimidated them. And when that didn't work, they, they, they decided to actually fight them physically. I mean, attack after attack after attack. Why? To stop them. To stop the progress that they were making. Amen? And so my message to us tonight is, as believers, we also experience opposition in our work with God. Not because of anything we have done, but because of the choice we have made. Amen? So now let me go very quickly to key points in overcoming the enemy's attack. The key points in overcoming the enemy's attack. Number one, notice how Nehemiah infused the work he was doing with prayer. <laughs> I mean, he's not running helter-skelter. No, he just prayed. He just prayed. Amen? Number two, in verses four and nine, Notice that he prayed more rather than praying longer. I think I need to say that again. He prayed more rather than praying longer. When you read that verse 4 and you read the prayer of Nehemiah, you can almost count it. This is what it says. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads. Give them as, a, as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Let me ask you a question. How long did it take for Nehemiah to pray that prayer? How long? You can count the words. You can say that prayer of verses 4 and 5 in less than two minutes flat. The point being, Nehemiah prayed more and not necessarily praying longer. Now, please hear me very well. There is a place for concentrated, intense, long prayers. And I endorse that. I endorse that. I endorse times when we can come before God and pray one, two, three, four hours as the occasion may demand. Absolutely. But what I'm telling us tonight is the battles are not won in those long prayers necessarily. The prayers, or rather the battles are won in the regular, constant cultivation of God's presence. In one message I did a while back, I, I, I entitled that message, Pray More and Effectively. And I remember one ancient man of God. I think, I don't know if it's Charles Spurgeon or 
uh, John Wesley. I'm not. I cannot remember which one of them said this. And this is what they said. They said they can. They, they said they hardly prayed for ten minutes long. But ten minutes do not pass before they pray. Did you get that? They said they hardly pray for ten minutes. But that ten minutes do not pass before they prayed. In other words, praying should be a part of our lifestyle. You should, every opportunity you get to pray, yes, to pray, to pray, to pray, on and on and on and on. I mean, in my own life, since I caught a hold of this particular aspect of praying, I can tell you my prayer life has changed. But not only that, the presence of God around me and within me has also changed. I feel a significant, tangible presence of God day in, day out. Why? Because I graduated from praying one, two hours a day to praying all of the time. Jesus said, men ought to all, uh, 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 men ought to not to faint, but ought always to faint, to pray. Luke 18.1. That men ought to always pray and not to faint. Luke 18.1. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that we should pray without season. How else do you think that's going to happen? You can't pray without season if you pray 9, 10 hours. No, but the point is, as often as possible. You know what this allowed me to do? When, because I'm praying more, I'm able to find more time to pray for you. All of those of you who are under my, uh, uh, shall I say, my covering as a body, as a church, as a ministry, my friends, my family, because every time I remember you, I can pray. Every time I, your name comes, I can pray. It's, it's a lot easier on a daily basis to take times out throughout the day. Even when you're laying in bed trying to go to bed at night. Throughout the day, even at night, to mutter words of prayer to God concerning yourself and those around you. I am telling you, for me, it's a total game changer. That's what Nehemiah did. I mean, the Bible records his prayer. Even though they were under intense attack, he prayed a few short words and he moved on. Amen? So number one, he infused the work with prayer. Number two, he prayed more rather than praying longer. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, <laughs> he, said, he, said, he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, that your prayer is not heard for making repetition for many words. Jesus actually, actually said that, Matthew 6, 7. Now, remember now, I'm not taking away the place of praying long, intense prayers. I'm just saying to you that if I pray three hours in the morning and I do nothing else to cultivate the presence of God in my life for the rest of the day, hmm, I've left so much on the table. That's what I'm saying. Amen? So number three, number three, in the keys to overcoming the enemy. We see that in verse 5 of Nehemiah chapter 4, let us let me read again what Nehemiah said. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So number three is that the, he prayed his prayer, Nehemiah's prayer indicated that Nehemiah understood what was at stake. He understood that the enemy coming against him and his group was in fact coming against God. Now, for me and you, when we get into a hard time, a hard place, uh, a time of trial, tribulation, persecution, affliction, do you take it personally? Do, do you take it and own it as if this battle is yours? That's not what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah said clearly, that you guys that's coming against us, you're actually provoking God. Why? Because we are on God's mission. And as a child of God, you must understand that your life does not belong to you. It belongs to God. He paid the price in full for you. He owns you. So anything that comes against you comes against God's property. It's a trespassing. Glory to God. And you should know that. You should believe that. You should embrace that. And you should leave that out. And you should speak that out. That's exactly what um, uh, Nehemiah said in his prayer that those fellows, Sambalat and Tobiah and, and their friends, they are actually coming against God 
not against him on his team necessarily. It's very interesting for me that in 1 Samuel chapter 17, in verse 26, David said something similar with regards to Goliath. He said, Goliath was defying the armies of the living God. Notice what he said. He didn't say he was defying Israel. No, 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 no. Goliath coming against me and you is defying the army of the living God. In other words, he put it on God. This is God's battle. This battle is against the enemy and God. Let's see who's going to win. Because we know that if God be for you, no one can be against you. Amen? So anytime you're in trouble or you're in a battle, a time of affliction, a time of trial, a time of tribulation, remember three things. Number one, realize whose cause you fight. Realize whose court you fight. Number two, remember whose commands you follow. Whose command you follow. And lastly, recognize by whose power you conquer. Okay, so now keys, key points in overcoming the enemy's attack. We've done three now. Number four. Number four. We are told that they succeeded in building because the people had a mind to walk. Glory to God. They succeeded in building because the people had a mind to walk. Another translation refers to that phrase, mind to walk, and says they, succeed, they succeeded in building because they had enthusiasm. In other words, they were overflowing with God. Amen? What does that mean? Exactly what does it mean to have a mind to walk? I'll give you an example. Years ago, when the ministry first started, I remember my wife and I and, uh, and the kids, I was so possessed, totally single, laser-focused with the vision of God that I told my family, I told them, I said, listen, at that time, at least the revelation of God to me was that I was in the United States on a temporary basis. And that God was keeping me, preparing me to send me back to Africa, Nigeria in particular, to do ministry. Okay. So, so I told them I was not going to buy anything that would tie me down to the United States because I had a mission. I have received a mandate. And my mindset was to make sure that nothing entangles me in this United States until I will not be able to fulfill the mandate of God for my life and my, for, my, for my family. So every day, I would sit my wife down and the kids we recite the vision. We talk about it, and I let them know. Don't forget about it. We're, we're not buying a house. Nothing. We're not going to buy anything that tower us down. And for years we did that, until the year 1994, when God came back and told me, "Bank, this was in Nigeria." God came to me in Nigeria while was while we were starting the school of ministry in Nigeria. God said to me, "Bank, now I'm going to send you back to the United States to start a church that you would use as a platform for reaching the nations." That's why I came back. And that's when now I was released to buy a house. We bought, the first, we bought our first home in the United States in 19, 1996. Up to that time, we lived in a condo. No strings attached. I was willing to cut the strings and be gone in a moment's notice. What am I saying this? I'm saying that to explain to you what it means to have a mind to work. What is your mindset? What is it that God can ask of you now that you're willing and able to do without any entanglements. Or I will like those guys that say, let me go and bury the dead. Let me go and marry a wife. Remember that story, Jesus, in that parable? What, what is your mindset? Our mindset has to be such that we're living in the world, but understanding we're not of the world. That's the mindset. And that's what these Jews had. These Jews were, they were, they were full of enthusiasm. They were full with a, with a desire, a passion to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem because they understood the implications. They understood the implications because as long as the walls were not built, they remain easy prey for the enemy attacks and which means they will not be able to live out their destiny as people of God in that region. Amen? So, so, I'm praying for you that you and I will have the mind of Christ. The Bible says, let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. Notice how Jesus was so laser focused. Even though they offered him thrones, they offered him luxury, they offered him all kinds of things. He refused to allow anything to deter him 
from that eternal goal of going to the cross. Hallelujah. And it was not easy, but he received the grace of God to do so. And my prayer for you tonight is that whatever God has for you, that you will not squander it at the, at the throne of convenience and comfort, at the throne of luxury, at the throne of pleasure, that whatever God has for you, for whatever Jesus died for, to provide for you in destiny, that you will live it out to the glory of God in Jesus, and that nothing will deter you from fulfilling your life's mission to the glory of God in the name of Jesus. I pray that God will help you and that you will receive the grace of God to live out your mission so that when your time is up, you will not have any regrets. You will say, yes, I fought a good fight of faith. I finished my course. And now, laid up unto me is the crown that God has. Glory to God. I pray that that's your portion in Jesus' name. So number five, key point in overcoming the enemy's attack. Notice, this is very important in verse nine. This is very, very important for us to see this because there's a saying that we're all familiar with. Look at what, what the Bible says in Nehemiah 4.9. Nevertheless, we made a prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Nehemiah didn't buy into the quote and unquote, let go and let God. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, let go and let God. Have you ever heard of that phrase? Letting go and let God. It sounds good. It sounds pious. It sounds very noble. That I'm going to let go. I'm just going to let go and let God. Really? The Bible tells us. Let me read it again. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. Notice that they prayed again. Okay? It was not a night vigil. It was not an everlasting prayer. They prayed to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So rather than letting go and letting God, he prayed and watched. He prayed and watched. In fact, the watching aspect of it is ironclad proof of his faith. Show me your faith and I will show you my works. The works confirmed the faith. And that's what it is. He prayed and watched. So in this case, he prayed and he also said God's day and night. My brothers, prayer does not negate common sense. It doesn't. Prayer does not negate common sense. He prayed. But I'm sure in his prayer, God gave him inspiration and said, okay, you've prayed, you've done the supernatural, now go do the ordinary. Let me add the super to your ordinary. Give me something to work with, Nehemiah. You've prayed, I heard your prayer. I thank you for praying. I thank you for talking to me. But now that you've talked with me, give me an opportunity to add my super on your natural. Believers all over the place. They give $10 in an offering. They give $100 in an offering. They go home because they're expecting some kind of a, a magic that's going to multiply the $10 or the $100 and make it $10,000. Because somebody has lied to them about seed, time, and harvest without understanding. No, we should give. We should honor God with our substance. That's scripture. Honor the Lord with that substance. And with all the first fruits of your inheritance. So that's scripture. No doubt about it. But notice, the people that were giving to God or the people that do give to God, they have to have something they do. They don't give to God and just go home and lock, lock the door and watch TV and watch uh, uh, CNN and watch... Uh, BBC News and watch uh, whatever all day long because they've given and said, well, I'm, I'm expecting a harvest. Where is it going to come from? No. The giving is the supernatural. What you can find to lay your hands to do is the ordinary that God blesses. That's the avenue through which God brings the harvest to your life. Amen. <laughs> so yes, we give. And we should give liberally. We should give generously. But after having given, ask God what, or if you already have a, a skill, put your skill to work and expect God to give you favor, to bless your skill, to open doors and to allow you to prosper through the skill he's given you. But don't just give and say, I've done what God asked me to do and don't do nothing else. No, you don't let go and let God in that sense. Amen. You let go and let God 
and you get involved. Absolutely. Amen. So he prayed and watched. Now, number six point in overcoming the enemy attack. Up to this point in verse 10, all the attack has been external. Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Ammonites. All the attack up here has been from outside. But from verse 10 onwards, the enemy has seen that they could not defeat them, could not stop them externally from outside. What did they do? Went into the weak ones among them. And now the attack is coming from within. For in verse 10, we read, then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. And there's so much rubbish that we're not able to build a wall. And so our adversaries said, they would neither, they would neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was, when the Jews who dwelt near them came, they told us 10 times, 10 times meaning again and again and again. That's what the Bible means when they say 10 times. They told us 10 times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. So this enemy is ploy. Whenever he cannot defeat you from without, it raises opposition against you from within. Expect that. Whenever it cannot finish you or stop you from without, it escalates, it intensifies by finding some weakling, something within your oikos or your circle of influence or your family to raise attack, attack against you. Now, what we learn about this is Nehemiah did not address the attack from within the way he addressed the attack from without. And that is important for us to recognize. He did not attack, he did, or rather, he did not respond to the attack from within the same way as he addressed the attack from without. He did not use the same approach. That's number seven. What did he do? In number seven, key to overcoming the enemy, he refocused the people. He refocused the people. He reminded them of God's goodness. And he told them, for God's sake, the God of your fathers, the God who brought you out of bondage, the God who has kept you all these years, for his sake, and for the sake of your family, and the sake of your friends. In other words, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Bank, Sharon, John, Sally, Susan, whoever you are right now, fainting, wanting to give up, saying, I'm tired. I've been fighting, I'm fighting, I'm fighting. I have no more strength left in me. When, when will my deliverance come? When will my healing come? When will my breakthrough, breakthrough come? I said to you what Nehemiah said to the other people, to, to the Jewish people. He refocused them, and I want to refocus you. I'm saying to you, don't, I know it's painful, I know it's tough, I know it's hard, I know it may be very, very, very difficult for you, but rather than focus on your pain, focus on the goodness of God, on his faithfulness. His faithfulness that's from everlasting to everlasting. His faithfulness and his tender mercies that are new every day. Don't try to solve the problem for two weeks or for one month or for one year. Take it one day at a time. Just today, just this one day, celebrate God's goodness. Think of one thing that God has done for you or for your family. Just one thing. What I did it 50 years ago or 30 years ago, however long ago he did it. Think of one thing God has ever done. And once you think of that thing, take a hold of it. I say, God, you are the same God that did this 50 years ago or 30 years ago, however long ago it was. And Father God, if you did it then, you can do it again. You can do it again. And so God, I thank you. Even though in my reality, I feel pain, I feel hardship, but I'm trusting you. I'm looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. I'm going to hang my heart on your faithfulness. I know you are faithful. Glory to God. 
refocus. Lift up your eyes and see the goodness of the Lord your God. That's what the Israelites said in Psalms 121. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from where cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That is your father. So focus on him and bless his name. Amen. That's what Nehemiah did when the attack came from within the family. Hallelujah. And lastly, lastly, number eight point in overcoming the enemy. The Bible says in the last verse of the book of Nehemiah chapter four, that uh, let me just read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, verse, verse 22, I believe. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and the Sabbath stay the night in Jerusalem. Mm. Oh, yeah, stay the night in Jerusalem that they may be our God by night and a walking party by day. What's the last thing that we see here? The Nehemiah had the people walking one hand with a weapon. No, walking with one hand. With one hand, they were laying bricks, and the other hand, they had a weapon. Did you see that? Did you hear that? In one hand, they had their bricks for make, rebuilding the gates. On the other hand, they had their weapons. A combination of the task at hand and the weapon. What is that weapon? In their case, it was sword and spears, etc., etc. In my case and your case, what's the weapon? So let me let me let me let me back up a little bit. They had the task and the weapon. For me and you, the task is whatever God has called you to do. You're a school teacher. You're a lawyer. You're a pastor. You're a housewife. You're a student. You're a civil servant. You're a politician. You're a businessman. Whatever it is that God has called you to be, you're an accountant. It doesn't matter. You're a taxi driver. You're an Uber driver. That's your task. But along with carrying out your task, you also have the responsibility of having a weapon. What is that weapon? The Bible is very clear. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Pierce it even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a designer and the thoughts and of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What am I saying to you in closing? I'm saying to you, be faithful to your mission, to your task, whatever it is that you find, that your hand finds to do, but at the same time, be a wordsmith. Be a wordsmith. Choose to learn the word of God. That is your weapon against the enemy. Not your opinions. No. Not the traditional proverbs that we learn in the village and so forth and so on. No. Your weapon against the enemy is the word of God. Remember, in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, when a tempter came to tempt Jesus, what did he say to him? What, what did Jesus say? It is written. It is written. It is written. So I pray that as God tunes you up, you turn your heart towards learning the word of God and being equipped. Amen? And that you can grow thereby in the knowledge of who Jesus is. And that's how you overcome the enemy's attack. Amen? Again, I want to thank every one of you for joining us tonight. Um, if you would like to support our work across the nations, the QR code is there. You can give and you can also pray for the work that we're doing. That God will continue to enable us and give us the grace to fulfill, fulfill the ministry that he's given us. Amen. So now, if there are any questions or comments, I'm going to take them. Uh, I want to acknowledge my friend and son all the way from Accra, Ghana, Pastor Roderick. Thank you so much for joining joining us, joining in. Uh, I was not able to come see you last year, but I promise I'll be there later this year in Jesus' name. In fact, it's already on the calendar. I need to get with you on that. Amen. Praise God. Any other questions? Any other questions? My dear Professor Joseph Andrews, welcome. Thank you so much. From ATL. All right, Joseph. <laughs> All right. Rosie Witts from Snellville, Georgia. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We thank God for you and we pray that you are tuned up and ready to thrive optimally in the kingdom of God in Jesus' name. 
Any questions tonight, Mr. Fidel? Oh my God, my brother just turned 66 last week. We celebrate you, my friend. We thank God for you. I shall this also shall precious be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Any questions? Any questions? Any questions? Any questions? Oh, David from Nigeria. It's good to see you, my friend. It's good to hear from you, rather. It's good to know you're on. And thank you so much. I know it's way, way late over there, but we thank God for you. Praise God. Amen. Sewin, my personal Chandler Moore. It's good to see you on, man. Thank God for you. Praise God. Amen. Amen. All right. Oh, my goodness. Look at this great man of God. I just turned, I had a birthday today. Mr. GQ, all the way from Aquat City. Tunde Akonde. It's good to have you, my friend. And your wife. Yemi, thank God for you. Sister Hilda, well done. It's good to see you. Give my love to my miracle man. Amen. Praise God. Amen. All right, Roderick. Praise God. Give my love to uh, my friend there. Oh, my, my, my brother, my friend, Brother Uwem, thank you so much. <laughs> Amen. Nothing, I like what you say, man. Nothing will deter me from fulfilling my divine purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. I join my amen with yours, brother. Oh, and thank God for you and Sister Shadi and all the kids. Love you. Love you guys dearly. Oh, look by dearly. My own personal one. Oh, look by dearly. <laughs> it's good to see you, man. Well done and welcome. Praise God. Amen. All right, my sister. God bless you real good. God bless you real good. All right. So if there are no more questions or comments, I'm going to take a wrap there and... Uh, Hopefully, I'll see you guys again next week. And just stay tuned for the tune-up in Jesus' name. God bless you. We love you. Have a good, 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 good day or evening or night or morning, for that matter, wherever you're watching from, in Jesus' name. Love you. God bless. Bye, bye You've been watching the tune-up. Don't forget to like share and subscribe to this Bible study. And until next week, don't forget to check in and get your tune up.